All right, all right. Hello, everybody. Happy Tuesday to you all, wherever you are. Welcome to Tech Tuesday here on INE Live. I'm your host, Catherine Brown, and we are continuing our focus on all things cloud today. We've been focusing on the cloud during the month of January. We've had some super exciting announcements, including the acquisition of cloudskills.io. We've really been digging into uh, the, the uh, future of cloud, how it's changing, how we can best uh, assess the training needs that you have and deliver those to you. With us today, we have INE's Director of Cloud Content and founder of CloudSkills.io, Mike Pfeiffer, along with one of INE's newest cloud instructors, Matt Davis. Today, we're focusing on cloud trends in business, talking about what we can do to provide a more well-rounded experience in cloud outside of the primary cloud platform. So we have an interesting show and you may have heard us mention, I've already seen it going on chat today, we are launching a new cloud certification. We've been talking about this for a couple of months now, building up the excitement, and we are just about ready to get going on this officially. This is the INE Certified Cloud Associate, the ICCA. The learning path as of today is up and running. We'll get into details on this later in the stream. So uh, obviously interesting uh, in for a very interesting stream today and happy to have you here. First of all, as we do each stream, I wanna let you know we are streaming live right now across social media platforms, including LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch. Be sure to like and subscribe on the social media platform you're using so you can get notifications, stay in the loop when we do get live. And of course, we want you to get involved. Talk to us, talk to others. We'd love to see you interacting in the community, answering each other's questions, and uh, really being engaged. That's what this platform is uh, all about. Apparently, I'm still trying to learn uh, how to talk today, so I'm gonna up my caffeine intake a little bit and uh, hopefully that helps. All right, our team is monitoring chat. If you have a comment, drop it in there. Don't be afraid if you have a question, go ahead and put a cue in the beginning of that. That will make it so much easier on our team, myself and our moderators to find those questions, get to those easily. With that, I wanna bring in Mike Pfeiffer. Mike, welcome back to INE Live. You've been here a couple of times with us uh, during the month of January. Glad to have you back. Yeah, thanks, Catherine. Excited uh, as usual. It's really fun to be here. See everybody in the chat. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us. And uh, yeah, it's an honor to be here. I'm excited. I'm excited to uh, bring Matt on and talk about some of the stuff we've been building. And uh, yeah, I'm pumped about the ICCA, so that the certification that you mentioned. So yeah, it's awesome to be here. Awesome. All right. Quick background on Mike. Uh, Mike recently joined INE as director of cloud content. Founded cloudskills.io back in 2016. And before that, he was with Amazon Web Services as well as Microsoft. Mike has written six books, created over 35 online courses, trained more than a half million students, and developed the cloudskills.fm podcast, which he still continues on a weekly basis. Also, want to bring in Matt Davis. Matt is a uh, relatively new cloud instructor with INE, experienced in everything from JavaScript to GitHub actions. Ansible, Doctor, uh, Docker rather, Kubernetes, Microsoft, and Linux systems administration. And uh, also interesting thing about Matt claims to genuinely love automating things. Matt, welcome to INE and welcome to the stream. Ah, thank you, Catherine. It's a real joy to be here. I can't wait to have this conversation, especially with the ICCA learning path coming out. There's so many exciting things to talk about today, and that's just one of them on our list. Yeah, we've got a great stream. And uh, again, just to the audience, thank you for joining us. Feel free, be, please uh, be engaged, ask us questions, drop your comments there. We will be monitoring that. With uh, with that, Mike, I'm going to turn it over to you um, just to, to kind of get started on this conversation. You know, we've talked a lot about cloud as it relates to individuals and individual training. But when you get into the business realm, uh, it, it almost becomes a bit of a different animal. I mean, there's so many challenges that businesses are facing right now with this mass migration to the cloud. 
It's so true. It's been really fascinating to watch over the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, it's changing, right? It's, uh, it's kind of unfolding as we speak in, in a way. And, you know, these companies, the big tech companies are moving really fast. It's putting a lot of pressure on us as, you know, people working in the industry uh, to find new ways to, to work, to learn and to build teams. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> I've been working with Matt the last couple of months. Um, he joined the cloud team into last year, kind of like when cloud skills acquisition was wrapping up. And uh, we've been planning on building all these certifications and all of these, you know, new solutions are completely different than anything that's been out there before. Um, you know, one of my things with cloud skills, we've talked about this in the past was to try to reinvent learning in a, in a new way for cloud, just because, you know, I'd noticed uh, so much friction with some of the traditional models. And uh, now that we've figured that out here at IE, we've got that blended approach where we got boot camps and courses, and now we got labs, right? So uh, what we're building is going to be something completely different. And that's what I'm really excited about. And I think that the entire industry um, has to open up their minds to those things as well. Um, even if you're not taking an INE certification, I mean, I think in the business world, you still have to come up with new ways uh, to train your teams, to mentor your teams, uh, to those individuals, you know, pairing up experts with other people, things like that. Uh, it's going to be an interesting time over the next couple of years. Um, but, you know, going back to what I was saying before, um, the things that's happening on our team right now, we're going through this. And uh, that's why I love Matt's background. And I, I would love to, you know, bring up, uh, kind of get Matt's backstory because he did work at GitHub. And a lot of the stuff that we're doing on my team, and this is stuff that I've been doing for years, talking about DevOps, you know, we're, we're really all about incrementally adding, you know, value every single day and moving fast, right? And I think that's the biggest thing that uh, every organization is going to be challenged with is how do we move faster than we ever used to? Because, you know, it, that's the game at this point. Um, it, how fast can you go and keep up with the technical innovation. So with that, I mean, I hope we could get Matt's backstory and kind of, um, you know, what it was like at GitHub and, you know, some of the things that he's seeing that we've been able to bring in from what he was doing there uh, to the cloud team. So I hope you guys can still hear me out there. Um, if we could cut it over to Matt, there's Matt. Hey, Matt. Hi, we're back. Um, yeah, so my background is is a little weird. I've been in education for a very long time from a technical point of view. Uh, I started my education or my, yeah, I guess my education side of the career, um, helping people get certified uh, on systems administration sort of tasks. And then I ended up traveling the world and working with businesses and governments to implement DevOps adoption in their organization. And that was a really unique space for me because it ended up not being developers that I was talking to most of the time. It was like the, the change management department or a recruiting department or mid-level to C-suite management on why we needed to adopt this for our business. How do we get the velocity out of it? Is it just a buzzword? These were the common things that constantly came up. And GitHub took notice of that and, and they reached out to me and I ended up working on a professional services team over there. And what was really unique about that is even though I did a lot of in-house development for our team, internal tooling, um, lots of automation, uh, the primary piece of product that that team had wasn't shippable code as you would expect. It was a lot of training content and enablement content for business to business customers. Um, so I took everything I knew about DevOps 
and the culture of DevOps and automating things and getting fast feedback and shipping quickly. And we applied that to non-code related tasks within a business. And I think one of the big hurdles with DevOps adoption and moving to the cloud in general is fear. Companies are afraid, you know, leadership is afraid to uh, automate as much as you might hear, right? You hear the big DevOps victory stories and a lot of that is it's all automated. When something goes wrong, an automated fix happens. When something goes well or needs to be deployed in some way, it's, it's all automated. I think it's really hard for people to trust that automation uh, and finding a way to implement that automation in really small chunks at any given time to build the confidence is really, really important. And to, to one of the things you, you mentioned earlier, Mike, was um, the fact that businesses need to adopt more cloud, right? That everybody's still moving to the cloud. One of the coolest things about cloud from an educational point of view is that it has lowered the barrier of entry for somebody trying to get that hands-on learning uh, than what we had before. We used to be able to simulate stuff with virtual machines. I did this when I when I taught at the college. We would simulate things with with virtual machines to help get give that hands-on learning. The problem with that is when the student goes home or when the learner goes home, maybe they don't have a powerful enough computer to spin up an entire virtual environment and network it all together and get that hands-on practical experience as they learn. The cloud is super enabling when it comes to that because they they really just need a phone or a web browser at this point. You can download the management apps on your phone. You can use any web browser you want uh, and go to whatever management UI for the cloud you're trying to learn and a couple clicks and, and you're on the path to learning. And I think that's gonna be really fun for us on our team to be able to create that experience for the learner where we break down all of those walls for, for entry and we say, come on in, try this, do this thing, follow along with us. And by the time you leave, you're going to have a real world scenario or 10 or 12 that you've worked through on these cloud platforms. And instantly you're going to have so much to talk about and so much more knowledge than you would have gained from, you know, the other learning paths that you might be going down. Good stuff. Thanks for that, Matt. I um, There's so much there. I think the one thing that you mentioned that I picked up on was I agree with the fear factor of you know being a huge blocker. I, I, that's one of the things that, you know, there's so much technical um, items and different things that people got to learn. But ultimately, I think that there needs to be a culture shift of, you know, I need to step into that fear a little bit, regardless of what role I'm in, right? Like, um, if I'm a brand new engineer, I've got to you know, kind of go in and learn the basics, right? But if I'm an executive, to your point, I've got to trust these new innovative ways of working and uh, open up my mind to automation and new ways of uh, deploying code and running code, maybe not in virtual machines anymore. Um, what What are some of your favorite, like going to the pure technical side, what is some of the like most, probably one of the most innovative technologies that's coming out that you're most excited about? Honestly, I'm a little biased, but uh, I am super stoked about GitHub Actions. Uh, I spent two years really diving into GitHub Actions and becoming really expert at that platform. And what I find really exciting about it is how fast it's growing and how much it's maturing. In that two-year time frame, I watched it go from kind of simple CI/CD 
and now there's there's more features than than we could expect from it from gating or like approval gates and the, uh, approval gates was a really important piece for github actions uh to help with that fear right because it's always yeah. the it's the bigger the company too right if i'm a big company i have more fear because i have a bigger customer base that relies on my product there's also a whole lot more things that could go wrong because i have this monolith that's just entrenched in the way that we handle business. Whereas if I'm a smaller company or a startup, uh, I can take those risks and I can build it with automation from day one. And then it's just always that way. So for me, I think GitHub Actions not only enables like really great CICD uh, and where it does have its immaturity at the moment, I'm fully confident that that is going to change. Like this is going to continue to evolve and be a great cloud-based tool. Uh, I love the fact that it's integrated directly into my repositories. And when I say that, it, it's not just code that I have in my repositories, right? Like I also have content. I also have technical writing. I, I have project boards set up when I go to pack to travel, right? So I use GitHub in a myriad of ways even as a packing list. And I can automate that packing list alongside GitHub Actions. If I need some sort of notification on my phone, I can tie in an action that says, hey, you haven't moved this task in two weeks. Are you still you know, trying to do this? And I get that notification. So Actions is great because of that, because it's not just designed for code. It's also designed to automate a lot of the community experience that exists on a platform like that. So for me, it's it's genuinely something I'm really, really excited about. And I can't wait to see it mature um, over the next couple of years. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see actions become the, the automation pipeline of choice. Yeah, I agree with that. I remember uh, teaching an Azure DevOps bootcamp about three years ago, and we were doing Azure pipelines. And there was rumors going around that, hey, this, this might not last forever, or GitHub might take this over because Microsoft bought GitHub. And, uh, and it's been fun to watch it unfold. And, and the thing was, like, if you were decent with Azure pipelines, you really kind of understood what was going on in GitHub Actions. But um, to kind of back it up for everybody, you know, there might be folks here that are brand new engineers, or developers, things like that, or maybe they're working and networking or cybersecurity and getting interested in cloud. Um, but, you know, in my view, and I'm interested to see what you say about this. I have a funny feeling. I kind of know what you're going to say, but the, uh, the CICD pipeline concept, right? That to me is probably one of the huge concepts that anybody that doesn't know it needs to learn because to your point earlier, content, like you're so passionate about it, you're using it project planning for your packing. Uh, I like that. But I mean, that's how awesome this stuff is. So it's kind of a way for us to automate any business process, right? Yeah, you can you can automate quite a bit. And the idea of CICD is, is we make some sort of change and then a, a validation step. Typically, if we're looking at it from a code point of view, that's that's some sort of testing for the code, right? But if we abstract that out of code and we say, let's do content. Let's say we have uh, an HR policy that we want to get out to all of our employees. So we put it inside of a repository and we give our employees access to that repository. That's great. Uh, New Year comes around and all of a sudden your employer decides that they're going to change your PTO policy. They're going to give you more PTO. Everybody's happy. As they go to write that policy, what we could do is put that policy in a CICD pipeline and some of the things that we might want to check from a content point of view are, 
are the links, right? A lot of content nowadays, especially digital content, is full of hyperlinks, and it should be, right? That's one of the great things about the internet is cross-linking everything. Well, one of the things that we could CICD from a content, just a pure content perspective, is that we could automate the clicking on those links to make sure that they're valid so that when we publish that new policy to our employees, all of those links work. It would be really horrible and it's, it's happened many a time for that, that article to get published. Your employee goes to click on view my benefits and it 404s because it's the wrong link. We can fix that using engineering principles like continuous integration, continuous deployment and delivery to, to do that for content. And that's, that's one example. Another, another thing you could do from a non-code point of view would be um, one of the challenges our team is currently facing. We, when we write labs and we need to move them from a repository into uh, something like a Google Drive or some other more long-term storage, when we tag a release, we can say, okay, this, this lab is ready to be released as V1. It can then go through a pipeline that verifies, again, links is a really common one, verifies that, maybe does some spell checking, does some auto formatting if we need it, and then takes it from raw text in GitHub, formats it into a PDF, and saves it over on that Google Drive for the rest of the company to get a hold of. And this eliminates you or I from forgetting to move it from point A to point B where the rest of the company needs it. So it becomes a little bit scary to initially adopt it because like, what if it never gets to point B? But once we adopt it and we see that it always gets to point B, then we realize the only reason it won't get to point B is because one of us decided to be a human and touch it instead of letting the automation do its job. I love it. Yeah, this is, um, I mean, it really is true. Like these are software patterns that are being deployed in other ways, right? Just because it's so effective and it's just going to continue to happen. So if it's not something that's on your radar right now, it will be right. And I think if we really backed it up for somebody that might be completely new, this is all predicated beginning usually on a distributed version control repository, right? And yeah. most people know Git and GitHub is a really interesting way to do that. And, uh, you know, so the idea is that we can take these repositories and use them for ourselves, but we can also um, construct these pipelines around them. And so when new code comes in, we can see who did what and who's contributing what, what changed when why all those kinds of things and i think that that's one of the reasons why you know i'm telling everybody to start really paying attention to that because as time continues to go on if you look at what's going on with kubernetes right they've got this concept of git ops that's been popularized by weaveworks where everything is you know it's all based on version control and and git right every change you make is done through a git commit and uh, yeah. so that workflow seems uh, intimidating to folks right but it's really not nice. um, and, and one of the things you touched on just a minute ago that I loved was that that's what we need to do is release something, right? A V1 and then improve on it, right? Over time, not worry about hitting a home run on the first at bat, right? Yeah, although even the smallest win is going to feel like a home run the moment mm -hmm. that you don't have to continuously do that task. And it happens the exact same way as you expect it every single time. But, but to your point, I think it's really intimidating, uh, especially if you're coming from maybe a systems background and not a development background to hear that you need to make a commit to something or we're going to work within some sort of distributed version control. You're like, 
what it, what is all of this? Like I'm used to systems related problems. Now you want me to be a developer, and that's not what we're what we're asking at all. And it's genuinely really simple to to wrap your head around it once you dive into it on like making these changes and using that version control for your tasks. I think going back to the fear point of view too, when you're talking about committing something, part of that commit is you're, you're signing your name to it, right? And I think a lot of old business culture is designed to maybe impart fear by pointing blame. And especially coming from the system side, right? If there's an outage, like whose fault, whose fault is it? Like who applied that patch or who didn't apply that patch or who moved that file or whatever it might be, it becomes a, a whodunit game. And when you move to something like distributed version control and you adopt a more DevOps style culture to things, it's not about whodunit because one, like we already know that that's, that's highly visible because all of your commits are signed. And it stops being an Easter egg hunt to figure out who caused the problem. And it starts being a swarm about the problem. And you you ask the, like you learn from that. You learn from that commit. You learn from that individual because you start diving into why they made the commit they did. And often what you'll see is they weren't alone. Somebody somewhere said, yeah, that looks good to me. And then now you have two people. So it's no longer burning the ship down when something goes wrong. It's, it's patching the holes as quick as possible and then going back to the top deck of the ship and saying, okay, what went wrong? What went well? Hey, great job team. We fixed this. Uh, these people approved it. Why did you approve it? We understand your thought process. Now we know how to avoid this. By the way, all of that is highly searchable so that the next team, when they go to make that same decision, one, if they follow through with it, they know how to fix it quickly. And two, hopefully they don't follow through with it because they can see our history and our conversations and they avoid the problem altogether. Yeah, that to me might be the number one business trend takeaway from this you know, potentially for this entire call today or this live stream, which is transparency. You know, <clears throat> going back to the old model of what you mentioned, who done it and pointing fingers, that's a great yeah. way to go slow in, in tech. But if you want to go really fast, transparency and teamwork is like how you're going to win, right? Yeah, so. you're never going to innovate if your engineers and your employees or even, I mean, take the technical people out of it. You're never going to innovate if the tech recruiter or any recruiter can't hire with a little bit of risk, right? We have to have a little bit of risk. Right. Yep. And then there was an awesome question from Bob Bob in the chat. He was saying, is that... Is this platform complicated to secure? So a CI/CD pipeline, a DevOps pipeline, and absolutely security is paramount in there. You hear a lot about DevSecOps, and by the way, we haven't posted this yet, uh, but we're we're working on a DevSecOps bootcamp delivery, a live training here at INE uh, with myself and Matt and uh, Brooks Seahorn, where we'll not only take you through the basics of DevOps. This is aimed at beginners, by the way, but we'll explain the DevOps pipeline concept. But then we we're going to take you through the security piece, right? And um, I guess that's probably another emerging thing that people are thinking about, right? Matt, DevSecOps. Oh, yeah, that's if we had to say buzzword, which buzzword is a bad buzzword. Uh, it's it's the new phrase in this DevOps space. And what's interesting about this, and I can I can really speak to the GitHub side because that's where a majority of my experience with it is, but it's not limited to GitHub. And I think that's important to say there are other distributed version control systems out there that do this. But 
you can build in the automation of that security. Um, for example, a traditional like code pipeline might look something like a developer makes a commit uh, to a pull request, right? So we have the pull request open, we make a new commit to it. When that commit happens, and, and a commit is just saying, hey, I made a change and I would like to integrate that change. That's all, that's all that commit is that pipeline kicks off and it will go through the traditional unit test that we might think of. But one of the things that it's, it's going to do is we're going to plug in a step that says do static code analysis, uh, run some machine learning against this to, to make sure that the input is validated and sanitized or, or whatever security concerns you have, you build those in as test steps. And as soon as one of them fails, everything stops a big red flag goes up and it says hey something just failed something broke don't deploy it like this and you're going to get a full-on report about what that is that that's broken um there is so with github there's a built-in feature for businesses specifically called github advanced security and one of the things that advanced security offers you is the ability to run very specific it's called code ql queries against your code base in your CI/CD pipeline. So you're able to begin automating this the standard security stuff that your security, you know, operations center or your security folks might be pushing down on you. They might say we need these things. We need you to be in compliance with XYZ. Well, we can just take all of those things and build checks around them and validations around them that say, all right, like let's make sure that there's no credit card numbers here, or there's no leaked API keys, right? Or, or any type of access token. This is a common thing that, that sometimes happens is developer forgets they commit some sort of secret to that repository. Well, we can, as a part of our CICD pipeline, like we can run uh, a check that says, hey, like scan this for keys. And we don't even have to do that on, on GitHub. GitHub automatically scans for common keys. So security from the DevOps point of view, it's funny that we say DevSecOps now, because I think the older, more long-term DevOps practitioners have thought about security the whole time. Whereas as now we're having to, to put a phrase on it to help answer the question about like, well, what about security? If it's automated, how do, how do we secure it? We automate your security process. Yeah, and I mean, it's the number one way to make sure that you're doing security right because everything has to flow through the pipeline. And when you're not doing that, things go on outside of a normal sequence of events and you might not know about it. You got somebody going into the console and changing the security group configuration or something of a security group, right? And then if that wasn't done in code and it didn't flow through a pipeline and there wasn't checks done, or if they're using some kind of package in their app that's got a vulnerability, um, all that stuff you can find right there in the very beginning inside a pipeline before anything ever goes into staging and, or especially production, <laughs> yep. right? And, so, and without yeah. using that pipeline, my question would be who approved it? Right. Right. Like, so we made a change somewhere. Well, who, well, who approved it? How many people signed off on that? Did we collaborate? And I think that's along with transparency, collaboration allows you to go so fast because you are going to avoid that mistake of I changed it in one place, didn't realize it affected these 43 other things over here. And I thought I was doing the right thing. Whereas if we had two extra pairs of eyes on that, we could have caught it ahead of time. And that's another great thing about using version control for this type of thing or adopting other pipelines and DevOps related cultural things where collaboration is going to help you with speed. It's, it's contrary. You think it slows down 
well, we're going to be slower because three people need to give us a thumbs up on this. But it's the exact opposite. You get much safer changes. Very true. Yeah. And if anybody's trying to imagine when, when would I use Git and when would I be doing commits, you know, you might be getting into things like Terraform and doing infrastructure as code and you can put your templates in a Git repository. And I think that um, one of the things I did when I heard GitHub was like becoming a thing, and this was like way back, like 2013, I think, uh, I created my GitHub account and I uh, started putting all of my scripts in there, even though it was more developer centric at the time. Um, and now everybody's on there and people are on there just to like share projects or even documentation. So talking about collaboration, you know, there's beyond just storing code in there, and you touched on this, Matt, um, documentation, right? Writing documentation in Markdown is something that everybody should probably be able to do, um, you know, in the future as an engineer, you know, regardless of what level that you're at. It sounds intimidating, but it really isn't, right? It's just, uh, it's a very basic way for you to to go fast in documentation and not have to do a bunch of crazy formatting and then like have the code that you write produce very nice documentation, right? Exactly. Yeah, I, I think Markdown is a major tool to add to anybody's belt, whether that's a developer or an administrator or um, an HR rep. And it does seem intimidating at first, but it is really simple to pick up. You could pull up a, a quick guide uh, right next to you on another monitor and another browser tab and be writing Markdown like a pro within 25 seconds. Uh, basically, right. if you can, if you can hashtag something on social media, you're already halfway to knowing everything there is to know about Markdown. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I just get, I get a lot of resistance to mark like doing the Markdown, but it's really very simple. So hopefully out of this live stream today, people will be more open to trying out version control and, and really adopting these DevOps patterns. Um, we mentioned this on the live stream last week, but there is a ton of new content in the INE library. Uh, that goes into various levels of DevOps complexity. So for beginners, there's more advanced stuff in there as well. And uh, it's not the only thing, right? But I mean, it is, to me, I've been thinking about this for several years, right? Um, to me, it is kind of the heart of everything that we're going to be doing in the future. It is the center of what we're doing. And uh, I can't wait to continue to move forward because we're doing it on our team. You know, we're, uh, we're writing code to grade labs, we're writing Python code for that. And we're just using it as a collaboration tool to build content and to, you know, work as a team. And I think that everybody's going to end up in that boat at some point. So it's an exciting time. Uh, Matt, anything else that you wanted to share or any other um, ideas you wanted to bring up? I guess the the biggest thing I, I would I would say would be uh, don't think that you're limited to code on platforms like that. Right. Experiment with your documentation. Um, next time you go to write uh, a memo that you need to email to somebody, um, write it in Markdown instead. And you're gonna find that if you need to add links or you need to share a code snippet or some Terraform template or whatever it might be, I, I would just try it in Markdown and then send it over to that person or give them access to it in some way. And I, I think you're gonna find that you're gonna write a whole lot faster um, using text editors or, or word processors rather it is nice, right? Like we can click the button to get bullet points, but you're going to find out that you can do that. You get that same feel a whole lot faster with Markdown. So I would challenge yourself to try that. And the moment you do that, I think you're going to, you're going to start adopting a better way of doing things.
Totally agree. Awesome. So I'm going to kind of bring up one last thing while I'm talking. If anybody has any other questions, feel free to throw them in the chat and we'll answer them. But, um, you know, one thing that I've been you know thinking a lot about lately, Matt, is uh, new ways of running workloads. Obviously, virtual machines have been a thing for a long time. We are all hearing about containers these days. Is that something that you feel like people should be trying to learn? Or do you think that um, it's more important to like focus on just a cloud concept if I'm brand new? Because I know that there's a lot of fear around that technology as well, because it's so completely yeah. different than VMs, right? There is. Um, if I'm brand new, how do I approach it? And I think the answer to the approach is you can't learn it all at once, right? You, you can't learn how to be a cloud networking guru while learning how to do Terraform templates, while learning how to run containers and manage Kubernetes clusters. You're going to have to pick one. So if you're in a role or you're the type of person that deploys services a lot or deals with code, containers is probably a really good starting point for you. Um, I'm a major fan of containers. I love containers. There's a lot of criticism around them. Um, but going back to the CICD pipeline, right, the continuous integration piece, containers can be a lifesaver for that pipeline because you never know what type of hardware or what type of virtual machine or operating system that, that those might run in. Like we can set some rules and constraints and we do have control over that, but um, the container abstracts that layer away for us. So if I think from an, a systems admin point of view, like let's say I have um, a Windows IIS web server running on a virtual machine and all of a sudden I need to move that from a host in California to a host in New York. That migration could take a really long time and a whole lot of things can go really wrong in that situation. And if we had that web server running in a container, we could simply spin that container up really quickly in, in New York and then shut the one down in California after we made sure that, that everything was running just fine. And the difference is gonna be is it's not gonna take a really, really long time. We don't have to double check to make sure that the CPU architecture matches or that the, the hardware itself is, is compatible with the virtual machine or that we even have the right hypervisor. Like we already know we have the right container engine uh, and we can just migrate it very fast, very simple. And it's so much smaller. If you're, if you're wondering why containers over VMs, think of a virtual machine. The number one thing you have to do when you create a virtual machine <laughs> is install an operating system. So if you're installing an operating system, that is a whole lot of resources that you need to give to that, that virtual machine. It, you have to have the number of CPU to support the OS. You have to have the right amount of RAM to support that OS. When we're talking about containers, there is no operating system. The operating system from the host is essentially shared into the container. So it's very seriously just the code or the application and its dependencies. So this allows us to have version one of Terraform in a container and version two in another container. And we don't run the risk of breaking the first app that relied on one. So we get a lot of flexibility. Our infrastructure and our applications and everything, they become Lego pieces when we start using containers rather than you know giant pieces of, of infrastructure that are very hard and monolithic to move around. 
Great answer. Totally agree. And, uh, and just to underline a couple things, you know, we've said in the past on this live stream, uh, it seems confusing. It sounds weird. It seems like a developer thing, but just having some awareness around it, you know, even if you're a systems person, you don't see yourself as a developer, it's worth it just to, even if you're not using it for anything yet to know what's there and to be able to have the conversation with people that are doing it as well. Um, we had an awesome question from Fahad and he said, He's been working as a network engineer and now he wants to start cloud. And it's kind of confusing because there's so many options. It's like, what do I do? Like AWS, Azure, do I go to Docker? Do I do this or that? Um, I think that the certification we released or announced, I should say, um, the ICCA today is a good one to start with because you'll understand the basics of cloud, just the fundamentals, the concepts that are similar across all the major providers. That'll get your legs under you. And then the the next certification and set of content that Matt and I are working on and Brooke Seahorn as well is uh, the cloud engineer certification. And that's going to be a fair amount of networking in there. And then when you go to the next level beyond that, like cloud architect, or if you go into DevOps, you know, those are the more advanced roles. And that's a place where, especially in architecture, that networking is going to be big. So, you know, I would start at the associate level get your, your awareness on the basics of cloud and then move into like an engineer or architect position or at least study line where you can apply some of the stuff you already know about networking. Um, Cause that's a huge opportunity for you. You've already got some skills in networking and you can bring those into the cloud. Most people are confused by cloud networking. Usually you go into a customer and at least in my consulting experience and it's just kind of like, or even in a class, like a lot of times you start getting to the networking piece and people are like, wait, I'm so confused right now. Right. So the, the fact that you have networking experience is a huge benefit. Um, Matt, what, what's your take on Fahad's question? Yeah, I, one, you have the experience and what's great about it is 90% of it is still going to apply in the cloud, right? Like you might not need to know Cisco iOS commands, right? Like that's probably what you're going to leave behind when you move to the cloud. But everything you know about routing, everything you know about DNS, everything you know about firewalls, everything you know about all the protocols that run networking, they all still exist in the cloud. And that 10% of your knowledge that you're going to leave behind you're going to fill with the 10% of really cloud specific knowledge that's out there. So if you go through that ICCA path that we've been talking about, you're going to get exposure to the major cloud providers and kind of how they solve for networking as well as other problems. So I think that's a really good first step is go through that path, understand what it is, and then take a second, breathe because it's a lot of content, and do a little bit of searching in your area to see what like what the demand is for some for an AWS network engineer or an Azure network engineer. Look at the demand for your space because each each region is different with what companies are out there. Once you see what the demand is, you'll know what cloud provider to take what you just learned in ICCA and apply it to. So then you can start diving into the nitty gritty details of AWS networking. Now, once you get good at that, the, the next step would be to look for the second biggest provider that you find in your region and skill up on their networking because where you're really going to stand out and where you're really going to bring value to any organization is being able to network those clouds together. And that's going to be a major hurdle as well as where being a cloud network person is going to be the most fun and amazing too. Like 
doing it within one ecosystem is great. But once you start doing it across ecosystems and cloud providers, you're going to really see the power of moving things offsite. Great answer. Totally agree. All right. I think, I think we might have one more question and then I think we'll wrap it up after that. Um, I think it was this one here, Scott Bolin, um, best pr platform to start learning. Is it Microsoft or Amazon? You, you left Google. I need training. I need training.com. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, exactly. That that's true. Right. Because yeah. I mean, we're going to have the best training, but, um, for that, but, uh, the serious answer to that is, uh, like if you're really trying to pick a cloud to like really double down on, um, you know, I always say have an anchor cloud. And then once you know, one cloud, the next cloud you learn is going to be so easy to pick up on and, uh, going back to some of the stuff that Matt was saying, you know, it could be very circumstantial and based on your experience. So you might be working at a Microsoft shop or you might've spent the last 10 years working in a Microsoft shop. That means that the Azure platform is probably going to be a little bit more familiar because there's going to be references to things you already know in the Microsoft space. Um, but if you're not in that situation, um, that's a different story, right? And you might also work or live in an area or be involved in something where people are moving towards AWS more, right? So I don't think that, I think it's based on your own circumstances. I don't think that I could tell you Azure is the best one, AWS is the best one. Uh, I think that you'd have to kind of weigh the opportunities that are there, kind of like Matt was saying, the job market, like what do you want to work on and, uh, and, and take that into consideration. But as long as you pick up one and get good at it, you'll see the, the patterns in the other cloud because basically, you know, they're very similar in a lot of ways, right? So AWS has a virtual machine service. So does Microsoft. They got storage, networking. Um, <clears throat> so in order for them to compete together or against each other, they're always going to have like services. So I don't think that you could really go wrong on either of those choices there, Scott. Matt, did you have I, anything? I, so yeah, I agree with, with a lot of that is there's no right answer, but there's also no wrong answer. Just pick one. Mm -hmm. Whether that's I'm picking one from experience because I'm more familiar with Microsoft because I use a Windows PC than I, but I mean, if you have Amazon and you ship stuff, maybe use Amazon. So you're curious about that. Who knows? Um, another thing you could do is these cloud providers often offer a free tier of services. And one of the major reasons these free tiers exist is for you to get involved and to start understanding how the services work and, and how to use them. So one thing you could do is look at Microsoft and look at Amazon and figure out which one offers you more free tier services in the area of your interest. So um, like the last question was networking, right? I would look at who offers me more from the networking point of view for free. So I could learn on that platform because to Mike's point, if you learn one, picking up the second, third and fourth, every new one is so much easier to learn because honestly, not a whole lot changes. Some, some terminology changes and there might be a little bit of feature variance between them, but they're largely the same. So find the one that offers the most free stuff in the interest area of interest that you have. Um, or go with familiarity, but the biggest thing is, is to pick one. Don't bounce between them. I think you'll, you'll hurt your learning initially. If you're trying to learn two at once, um, spend three months with one and then jump over and spend three months with another. And you're going to remember this, uh, I and E live and you go, man, Matt and Mike were, were absolutely correct. This is so much easier to learn the second one. It's good advice, Matt. Just pick one platform and get in the game. 
Love it. All right, everybody. I think we're going to start wrapping this one up. Um, <clears throat> Catherine, is there any final thoughts that you wanted me to um, include or anything else that we... Uh, yeah, wanted? no. This is a great discussion, guys. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. I love all the engagement in chat. Great questions. Thank you all for being here, Matt and uh, Mike. Thank you guys for a, a fantastic uh, discussion. Very informative. And um, thank you for watching. And if you missed it live today, you can look for the replay across our social media channels, as well as on the INE website. One more plug for the ICCA. If you're interested in learning more about that, we've got information on INE.com. You can also find it on any and all of our social channels. You'll be hearing also a lot more about that in the next few weeks and months to come. So lots of exciting news on that front. In the meantime, we will be live again right here this Thursday, January 27th. We are tapping Mike Pfeiffer yet again. We'll also have INE Cloud instructor Brooke Seahorn here to talk about hybrid and multi-cloud and how to arm your team with the skills that they need to absolutely crush it in the ultra-competitive business atmosphere. So be sure to like and subscribe on the social media platform you are using so you can stay in the loop for details on the next stream and notifications when we do go live. As always, bring your questions your excitement, your enthusiasm, and your knowledge. We'll see you next time. Until then, have a great week.